Well, this sermon started out just like any other one does, uh, with an internet debate. So, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I, uh, I'm a part of an online hunting forum, and uh, I don't get on there a whole lot, but around hunting season, I tend to get on there a little bit more because I'm thinking about hunting and stuff. And there was a, a thread on there that was just titled Baptism. And I read this thread, and of course, well, not of course, but unsurprisingly, I didn't exactly agree with what this gentleman had to say about baptism. Uh, there were some who, uh, many who agreed with him, and there were surprisingly quite a few who disagreed with this gentleman uh, on the topic of baptism. And so that got me to thinking about baptism. And this was, you know, we're, we're six months removed from this series we did on the assembly. And I really liked those studies we did on the assembly, and I wanted to take the same approach to baptism. And so uh, you're thinking, oh, geez, Brandon talked a little about baptism last week. We talk about baptism all the time. What's with the you guys at baptism? Well, it's important. And uh, I want to look at baptism from maybe a little bit of a different uh, way than we typically look at baptism. And, and so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at some of the views that the world has on baptism, and, and I want to talk about those. Uh, and I, I think we should openly talk about them. Uh, and then I want to respond to some of those viewpoints that the world has. Uh, and, then, and then we're going to close up our sermon this morning with just uh, some verses on baptism uh, and what the Bible has to say about baptism. Like I said, we, we did this study on the assembly here probably six or, or eight months ago. And it seemed to me like we took a, well, I, I, this may not be the right way to put it, but a very like scientific approach to the assembly. And we really broke down each part of the assembly. And we talked about God's authority in the assembly and, and how that pertains to the Lord's Supper and to our singing and to our praying and to our teaching. And, and we really broke down those different uh, components that we see within the assembly and, and we, we did really looked at the scripture on, on why we believe that we should worship that way. And I want to do the same thing with baptism this morning. Now, on another note, I listened to a podcast uh, probably around the same time. And the title of this podcast was Start With Why. And I think this is a pretty cool thing. It, it didn't necessarily mean when, when talking about, when, like when preaching, but it was any kind of public speaking. If you want someone to understand why you're talking about something, you've got to start with why. And so why, why talk about baptism? Why did we talk about the assembly? Well, we want people to worship God the way God wants us to worship Him. Why talk about baptism? Well, we believe that the scriptures uh, talk about the importance of baptism and show why baptism is important. Why be baptized? Why talk about baptism? Because the scriptures show that, that Jesus died for your sins. And we believe that baptism plays a vital role uh, in us fulfilling the gospel. And so we can talk about baptism and we may talk about some of the viewpoints of the world and it may seem like, oh, we're getting really deep into this. What, why are we doing that? It's important. It's important. Um, if, if you're like me, you have had discussions with people about baptism and these were people who disagreed with you on what baptism meant, uh, the purpose of baptism... And it's probably driven you to study out uh, baptism for yourself. 
most people are going to run into someone else who disagrees with them on baptism and on the purpose of baptism. And I want you to be well equipped with the scriptures and, and not my opinion or not our elders' opinions on baptism, but simply what the Bible says about baptism. And so there's going to be arguments that you hear that people make and viewpoints that people bring up about baptism, and you're going to think, well, that, that makes sense. I, okay, I kind of see why you're, why you're saying that. And that's why I think it's important that we openly uh, explore those viewpoints and see what the Bible truly has to say about baptism. What is baptism for? These are some, not all, but some of the viewpoints or some of the things that people are going to say about baptism and some of the things that I've heard about baptism. And there's a lot of people out there who believe that baptism is a good thing to do. It's something that God probably wants us to do. But it, it's not required. It's not something that God's going to command you to do. He wants you to, but He's not going to force you or He's not going to command that you be baptized. There's a bunch of people out there who hold the opinion that baptism is something that's required. It's something that God commands. You have to be baptized. However, it has nothing to do with being forgiven of your sins. There are people who believe this. Uh, there, are, there are also people who believe that baptism is not required and also has nothing to do with the forgiveness of sins. There's a very, very large group of people who believe that along, something along the lines of baptism being a declaration and, and nothing more than that. They believe that baptism, as what you would hear many times, is an outward show of an inward change. Many, many people take this viewpoint today. And then the, the last one here is that baptism is required for the forgiveness of sins. And so if you'll notice, none of these viewpoints on baptism can be held at the same time. That two of them can't be right at the same time. I don't take joy in that, but it's just the truth. Baptism can't be required and, and not required at the same time. Baptism can't be something that has uh, relevance to you being forgiven of sins and something that doesn't have relevance to you be, being forgiven of your sins. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse number 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus says he was the truth. And if there's ever a topic or a discussion in which there can only be one truth, it's when it comes to, or when it pertains to matters of the scriptures. There can only be one truth. Jesus is the truth. And there can't be multiple truths. Either baptism is essential for the forgiveness of sins or it's not. Either baptism is something that God wants you to do or it's not. And that's just the, the fact of the matter. It can't be both at the same time. So here's three viewpoints that the world will take on baptism. Certainly there are many more. And in my opinion, these are the three that you're going to see most often. These are the three that you're going to hear most often, that people are going to take as their own opinion most often, and probably most likely the ones that I've heard most often whenever I'm talking about baptism with people. And the first one there, I don't know what other people call it, I'm calling it the John 3.16 viewpoint or opinion on baptism. Uh, the second one there is going to be the viewpoint of the thief on the cross. And they're going to use the thief on the cross to try to explain uh, 
the relevance of baptism. And then the third one here is going to be the word for that we read in Acts chapter 2 and the 38th verse. And we're going to look at all three of these viewpoints this morning and we're going to break them down uh, piece by piece. And I'm going to explain them as the world would explain them. And I don't want you to get confused by any of these things uh, because they're really pretty simple. And I, but I think it's very important that we understand uh, the viewpoint of these, of these uh, three verses that we're going to read. So in John chapter 3 and verse number 16 it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the Bible says here that whoever believes should not perish, but the person who believes will have everlasting life. And, and the world is going to take this viewpoint. They're going to look at that and they're going to say, well, whosoever believes will not perish. They'll have everlasting life. They're saved. It's someone who's saved. If you believe, you're saved. And they're going to say, well, the Bible says you believe and you're saved. That's all you have to do to be saved. This is a very, very widely uh, taken opinion on the topic of baptism. And what you're going to say is, well, well, no, there's other things you have to do to be saved. And they're going to say, well, if you believe that, then you disagree with John 3.16. You think that this is not the truth? I mean, I've heard that before. If you don't think that all you have to do is to believe, then you don't believe what the Bible says. That's going to be one of the viewpoints that the world takes. Uh, and that's not directly about baptism, but you see, the, you see the argument that's made. You see the viewpoint that's brought up. Uh, and then really a similar one is, is made in Luke chapter 23 and verse 43 when uh, the thief on the cross comes up. Now, I will warn you, if you talk with anybody about baptism who disagrees with you, there's a 99.99% chance they will bring up the thief on the cross. Uh, it happens almost every single time. And you'll understand where they're coming from. Uh, you can go read, you, you probably know the context here. Uh, Jesus is, is on the cross, he's hung between two thieves. Uh, one of the thieves mocks him, and the other one shows reverence to Jesus. And Jesus says this in the 43rd verse, Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And so here's this thief on the cross, and Jesus forgives him of his sins right there. I don't know anybody, first out to get it out of the way, we all believe this, this man, this thief on the cross was forgiven, don't we? There's no, there's no disputing that. This man was forgiven. And they're going to say, well, this was a man hanging on the cross. And he wasn't baptized. And if he wasn't baptized, then I don't have to be baptized either. And that's Jesus himself interacting with this man. That's a second, uh, one of the really popular viewpoints you're going to see on baptism. The third one may be less likely to hear, but one that I've heard that, that really gave me some trouble uh, years ago. In Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38 says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so, uh, you know, for a long time I thought, well, this is the ace in the hole that the Bible has, proving that baptism is for the remission of sins. Uh, and then I heard this opinion, and I've heard it several times since then, and it makes sense. I won't lie to you, this, this opinion will make some sense on the, perp on the surface. And so what was, what was said to me uh, when I was having a discussion with someone back about this a few years ago was they said, well, you know, it says here, repent be baptized for the remission of sins. And they said, well, imagine if you had a headache. 
You're not going to go get some medicine for your headache. Or you're going to say, I need to get some medicine for my headache. And so the word for means because of. So what they're saying here, the viewpoint is, every, repent, be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ, because of the remission of sins. They're going to say, well, the, the forgiveness of sins is why you're baptized. You don't do it for the forgiveness of sins, but because you've been forgiven of sins. And they're going to use this example. I need to get some medicine for my headache. And they're going to say, well, you don't get the medicine uh, in order to get a headache. You take the medicine because of your headache. And that makes sense, doesn't it? And so we would say that the word for here means in order to gain, but there's some people who hold the belief of that means because. I need to get this medicine because I have a headache. I need to uh, repent and be baptized because I've been forgiven of my sins. So these are the three m- most commonly used arguments or viewpoints about baptism that, that I have personally uh, heard when, when talking about baptism. There, there are certainly other ones, uh, other ones that I'm sure you've heard or ones that I'm leaving out, um, but these are the three that I felt like were most pertinent for our study this morning. So what does the Bible say about these three viewpoints. Uh, the first one there, uh, the John 3.16 viewpoint, where uh, it says that those who believe in Jesus uh, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. A couple verses that they come to mind whenever I think about that verse coming up is in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 where it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Another one is in James chapter 2 and verse number 19. It says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. And so a lot of times these are the rebuttals you're going to hear to an argument like that. Well, do we have to only believe? Because the Bible says here that those who just believe, those who say, Lord, Lord, they don't enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's those that do the will of God. Uh, James chapter 2 says, Uh, directly talks about belief, saying belief's not enough. He says, Satan's angels believe, the devils believe. We don't believe the devils are saved. I don't suppose there's any uh, Christian out there today who would believe, uh, would, would be willing to say that the devils, since they believe, are saved. Now, if we take a step back and we look at this from a little bit of a distance... We can think that these three verses in John 3.16, Matthew 7 and 21, and then here in James 2, that they contradict each other. But we know that the Bible works in perfect harmony. There's, there's no contradiction in the Bible. And so whenever it appears that the Bible is contradicting itself, it's a, 100% of the time it's, it's our problem. It's the, that we're not understanding what the Bible is saying. We, meet, we need to... Uh, Maybe look at it from a different way or we need to gain a better understanding of what that verse means. So do we believe here that that this verse is not true? Of course we don't. Do we believe that Matthew 7, 21 is not true? Of course we don't. We believe these verses tell the truth. And we believe that John chapter 3 and verse number 16 is telling the truth. So what does it mean? What does John chapter 3 and verse number 16 mean? Something that I've thought of a lot... um, is the play, I guess, the words believe in. I go, well, we can believe in anything. We can believe in Jesus. There are a lot of people who believe in Jesus. The devils believe in Jesus. But I believe that John 3.16 is talking about a belief that, that 
provides action. A belief that builds faith. And that's where I guess you can get into the difference of belief or faith. Do you, you, have, do you believe in Jesus or do you have faith in Jesus? And I think the belief that John 3.16 here is talking about is a, is a belief that moves you to obedience. Not just a belief, and I know that Jesus existed, but I believe in Jesus because I believe he died for my sins. I believe in Jesus because I believe he's the one and only the true living Son of God. I believe that's what John 3.16 is talking about. That's a belief that moves to obedience like we see here in Matthew chapter 7. It's a belief that isn't just calling on God. It's a belief of the person who does the will of God. What about the thief on the cross? Like I said, this is a, a similar to, to, to what we read there in John chapter 3 verse 16 because the thief... Uh, wasn't baptized. A lot of people are going to say, well, we don't know if he was baptized or not. Uh, to me, that's not a very good argument to make uh, because there's nothing that can be proven there. And so to put that out of our mind, I think we need to take a different approach to this viewpoint. In Mark chapter 2, in verse number 10, it says, but that ye may know that the Son of God hath the power on earth to forgive sins. If you see in Princeton, it says, he said to the sick of the palsy. And so if you know the context here, uh, this is whenever... Uh, the man who's, who's sick gets lowered down through the roof uh, to meet Jesus. And, and uh, Jesus uh, commends this man for his faith and for his belief. And it says directly after Jesus for, heals this man, forgives him of his sins, it says, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath the power on earth to forgive sins. And something I've always thought about the thief on the cross is, oh, Jesus, he, he, he had the power to forgive sins. It was well within Jesus' right to say, you're forgiven of your sins, whether you're baptized or not. Was it not? That's what this verse is telling us. The verse is directly uh, talking about a situation like the thief on the cross. That in those situations, Jesus has the right to forgive sins. Jesus was on the cusp of, of dying for the sins. It was well within his right to forgive that man, to forgive that thief. For his sins. But, but better yet, I'd like to look at Hebrews chapter 9. This is actually a verse we talked about in our series on, on uh, the assembly. Uh, and, and we're going to read a very common example that's used here. One that I used in that sermon about singing in the assembly. Uh, and one that has to be brought up. And there's no better example that can be used. Because it's the example that's used in verses 16 and verse 17. I own a 2000 Chevrolet Blazer. It's red. And I bought it from Britt McCarter. And now, uh, if I were to put in my will and testament that I wanted Britt to have that, that red blazer whenever I die, then Britt would have every right to that blazer, but only once I'm dead. We're, we're familiar with how a, how a will works. We're, we're very familiar with the process uh, of how that works. But not until the moment I die will Britt have any right to that blazer. And so if Britt comes and knocks on my door this afternoon and says, Hey, I like that blazer now. It sounds pretty good. Then he would have no right. He would have no claim to that blazer. But if something happens to me tomorrow, and I'm not alive anymore, then there is no one here who has any right to that blazer. 
Not my wife or my family, but Britt McCarter. He has every right to that blazer. We understand how the will and the testament works. Now, you've, we're very familiar with the, the, the term New Testament, Old Testament, and old law and new law. And we read a little bit about that in Hebrews chapter 9. Starting in the 15th verse there, it says, And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. And so I can, I can drum up some legal documents about my Chevrolet Blazer. And Britt can take those documents to a lawyer and say, I've got proof. But it says in the 16th verse, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Until I'm dead, the, the, it's necessary for me to be dead, rather. It says, for a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all, while the testator liveth. Jesus will, if you will, was this new law. And part of that new law is baptism for the remission of sins. Now, I'm going to ask a pretty elementary question here, but at this point on the cross that we read, uh, where, where Jesus hanging between these two thieves, had he died yet? Jesus was still alive. And there must of necessity be the death of the testator. And so, the commandment that we live under, under today to be baptized is, as you could say, uh, of no strength at all while Jesus was still alive. The, my promise to give Brit that blazer is of no strength at all while I'm still alive. The force, uh, to use the term here in verse 17, the force of this New Testament, the force of baptism had no strength on this man uh, on this thief who was on the cross. If we back up a chapter, it says, In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old, now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Here this old law that, that people had lived under for years and years, that had nothing to do with baptism, that was focused on sacrifice, it was ready to vanish away. It was old, it was decaying, but it was still in effect until the moment that Jesus died. I think that's pretty clear to, to understand. Now this, these couple verses here, Lord willing, are something that we'll talk about in more depth in, in, in next time I get a chance to speak. Uh, these verses are vital in, in understanding uh, the scriptures and understanding the difference in the old law and the new law. To understand these verses is to understand a lot of the scriptures. And so, on a side note, I suppose, if this is something that you would like to talk about more, uh, get with one of the guys or, or talk to me after, after church, and, and I'd be more than happy to discuss this with you because this understanding this is vitally, vitally important to being a Christian today. Vitally important. 
the thief on the cross was not bound by the new law because the new law was of no strength yet. Okay. And this third viewpoint that, I, that uh, we want to look at what the Bible says is the word for here in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. I remember a time in college where I was uh, uh, on the same forum and a similar thread about baptism was brought up. And I was reading it. I was commenting all this stuff. And I called Brandon. I was like, hey, what are you want to talk about? It? And then uh, so we're studying over a few things. And I remember going, okay, I'm going to look at some of these Greek words. I'm going to you know, study some of this on my own. And I remember going, okay, okay. It's where the rubber meets the road. Like, I'm going to believe whatever I find here. Uh, and I think that to understand this argument, you kind of got to do the same thing. So to refresh your memory, uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, where Peter says to be repent, to repent, be baptized for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the viewpoint that the world is going to take is that the word for here means because of and not in order to gain. And so let's look uh, here, if, if you want, you can look at this Greek word, 1519. We're going to look at it in just a few moments, uh, a, few, a few verses later. But if you, if you do a word search for this Greek 1519, you're going to see another similar verse that uses the exact same word. You're going, oh, it's the word for, but there are different word fours. We'll talk about that in a moment as well. But if you look up that same word that people say means because of, you find that exact word. In Matthew chapter 26, verse number 28, where Jesus says, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so to believe that Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38 means because of, you'd be forced to believe that Jesus died because of the forgiveness of sins. I don't suppose there's anyone out there who believes that Jesus died because you were forgiven of your sins. If Jesus died because I was forgiven of my sins, why, why would he ever have died in the first place? I was already forgiven of my sins. This can't mean, uh, the word for can't mean because of, or else Jesus died because we were forgiven of our sins. And we don't believe that. We believe that Jesus died in order to gain the forgiveness of our sins. Okay, now moving on, I want to, I want to move away from those three viewpoints that the world takes. And I want to strictly just talk about baptism for the remainder of our study this morning. And so, uh, there's a couple of verses here I found interesting. And uh, I didn't put them on the, on the board. Uh, if, I strongly encourage you to get your Bible or your phone out and look at them. So you'll see what I'm seeing as you look at these verses. Uh, because I didn't, want to, I didn't want to copy and paste them all on there, okay? In Mark chapter 1 and verse number 11, we see this first example here. Now, stand alone, I don't believe that these are strong arguments to make for baptism being for the remission of sins. However, I found, I found that they're interesting, and I want to talk about them. We're going to read both of these here. Uh, both of these verses are, are different accounts concerning Jesus' baptism. And in Mark chapter 1 and verse number 11, uh, Jesus is baptized. And here in verse 11 it says, And a voice from heaven, a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son and who, with whom I am well pleased. So the moment that Jesus is baptized, God, his voice comes down from heaven and he says, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. And to take the, 
viewpoint that baptism is not essential, to take the viewpoint that baptism is not important, is interesting to me. If the moment when Jesus is baptized, God says, I am well pleased with you. I find that kind of interesting. God doesn't care if you're baptized, but as soon as you are, he's pleased with you. And then, a second point, in the 12th verse there, it says, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Speaking of Jesus... And it says there that he was tempted of the devil for 40 days. Immediately after Jesus' baptism, Satan attacks him. Satan goes after him. I find that interesting. Now, I don't believe this to be true, but it's almost as if Satan wasn't that worried until Jesus was baptized. He's going, hey, this, okay, he's, he's baptized. He's obeying God. And it was... I guess the point I want to make is clearly something changed. Jesus is baptized, God is well pleased, and Satan is angered. I think that's interesting. If there's ever a place I want to be in my life, it's pleasing God and upsetting Satan. Now, like I said, I don't think that standalone is, is proof that baptism is for the remission of sins. I find it interesting. Okay, now in Luke chapter 3, in the 22nd verse, it's this... Very similar account. Uh, I'm going to read this in the ESV because I like the wording that it puts here and it, it, it brought some sense to me. And so, very similar there in the 22nd verse. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so this immediately after Jesus is baptized, uh, God's voice comes down and says, I'm well pleased with you, speaking to Jesus. In the 23rd verse here, uh, the, Luke uh, decides that this is an important time to state that Jesus, when he began his ministry, I found that pretty interesting as well. Jesus is baptized and Luke says, now he begins his ministry. Uh, I'm not going to say Jesus didn't have a ministry before this, but I find that very interesting that as soon as, as, soon as Jesus is baptized, his ministry begins. Like I said, I don't believe that standalone uh, grounds to believe that baptism is for the remission of sins, but clearly something changed there in Jesus' life. Clearly he was obedient to God uh, in some form or fashion, and I don't think we can disagree with that. Jesus is baptized, God is pleased. You and I are baptized today, God is pleased. Jesus is baptized and immediately Satan attacks him. Satan is displeased. And I believe the same thing happens for us today. Okay, moving on. In Colossians chapter 2, uh, we, we've got just a few more verses here that, that I want to use uh, to talk about how baptism is for or in order to gain the forgiveness of sins. And so in Colossians chapter 2, in verse number 12, it says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, excuse me, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And so we see this verse here, the, the 14th verse, which is in direct correlation with those verses in Hebrews we just read about putting away the old law, bringing in the, the old law. Jesus was doing several things when he died on the cross and one of the things he was doing 
was he was taking away this old law where it says blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, speak, speaking of the old law. He took it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross. The other thing Jesus was doing is, is talked about in the first few verses we have uh, pasted here. Buried with him in baptism where also ye are risen, the operation of God, it says, being, we once dead in sins, now he has quickened together, forgiven all trespasses. And this is speaking directly of baptism. Speaking of baptism here. You know, it's sad to me uh, that this is a something that, that Jesus gave to us. It's, it's something that's, that's free. The operation of God is free. There are many people who, who go through surgeries today and they, they pay for them out of pocket. They pay thousands and thousands of dollars because they've got a problem and it needs fixed. Or they've got uh, an organ that's corrupt and they need rid of it. And they'll pay out of pocket any amount of money that you tell them when they're in pain to get rid of that and to fix that problem and to ease their pain. And we have this operation of God where God is the surgeon. The operation is baptism. It's free. It's quick. And it's painless. And people don't want it. People won't do it. He says about baptism that this is directly like the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He says buried just like Jesus with him in baptism. What happens when we're baptized? Wherein also we're risen just like Jesus through faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. He says that when, before we're baptized, we're dead in sins. We're spiritually dead. And because of baptism, hath he quickened together with him, with Jesus. The word quicken there means to give life to, to make lively. Baptism, it puts away this dead spiritual man and it gives life. And that's what is forgiven us of all trespasses we'll pay any amount of money to have a surgery and, and this one's free and it removes the most corrupt thing known to mankind okay similarly in 1st Peter chapter 3 and verse number 20 I want to talk about this like figure of baptism so verse 20 here is talking about Noah it says which sometimes were dis disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few that is eight souls were saved by water verse 21 says the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us it makes special mention that it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and so there's a couple things I want to make uh, I want to point out
for us this morning. It says here that Noah and his family, these, these eight family members of Noah, or seven and Noah, were saved by water. It says that Noah and his family were saved by water. And then it says, just like, the like figure, just the same as how baptism and water doth also now save us. You know, if, if you'd asked me when I was a kid, well, what saved Noah? I'd have said an ark. He got on the ark and it saved him. And the scriptures tell us that that's simply not true. It wasn't an ark that saved Noah. It was water that saved Noah. Noah wasn't in danger of the water. Noah was in danger of sin. The corruption in the world. The Bible says in, in Genesis, I believe it's the sixth chapter, I haven't looked at it, that uh, in those times, the whole world was all evil continually. Noah wasn't in danger of water or a flood. Noah was in danger of sin and corruption and evil. And he was saved when the flood washed that away. And we're saved in a like figure. We're not in danger of water. We're saved by water. It washes the corruption and the sin all away. Where even baptism doth also now save us. And we see this in, in an illustration that you've probably seen many a times. And talking about the verse we read there in Colossians and also this verse we read here in 1 Peter. This like figure where we are buried just like Jesus but in baptism and resurrected. Baptism simulates the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And finally this morning in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and verse number 38, uh, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I want you to think about the context here. The context is, is vitally important, and it's even greater evidence into understanding the scripture, into understanding the purpose of baptism. Peter here preaching what we call the first gospel sermon. Pre Peter is preaching about who Jesus was and the fact that Jesus died and why Jesus died. And he's talking to the people that were there that day that put Jesus to death. It's impossible to know, but you can't help but wonder if some of the crowd that Jesus was talking to were there when they hung him on the cross. If they were standing on the street as he carried that cross. If they were someone that spat upon him themselves. Did they, they watch Jesus as he expired? If they were standing there when the spear was pierced in his side. It's important to know the context here. And Peter preaches to him about who Jesus was and who they had just put to death and why he died and why it was so important. Do you 
you think they believed? You better believe they believed in Jesus. And they believed who Jesus was. They believed he was the Son of God. And they had one question and one question only. These people who saw Jesus, who witnessed him die. And they said, what shall we do? And there's never a better opportunity for someone, a speaker, to give the most simplest of answers. The most plain of answers. And Peter's given this opportunity and he gives them the most simple, the most plain, and the perfect answer that could have been given. And he doesn't say, you you believe, thank you, go home. Peter said, you need to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. You want to be saved? You have to repent. You have to be baptized. Back to this Greek word I promised a moment ago. And... uh, G1519, E-I-S or ice as it would be translated in English, is a primary preposition which means to or into, indicating the point reached or entered. The word for here means the point reached or entered. Being baptized is the point which you reach remission of sins, the point in which you enter into the forgiveness of your sins. It doesn't get any plainer for me. So this idea, one that I've heard many times, I need to get some medicine for my headache, meaning because it's not very fair to this argument. So if and when you hear this argument, uh, make sure that it's used in a fair way. The 38th verse says, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of your sins. They're going to say, I need to get some medicine for my headache. Well, what they're leaving out is remission. What they need to say to make this a fair argument is I need to get some medicine for the relief of my headache. See, relief and remission are the same word in this sentence here. Headache and sins are the same word in this sentence here. And if you want to make it fair, you say, I need to get some medicine for the relief of my headache. I need medicine in order to gain relief. I don't need medicine because I've got relief of headache. Now you're probably thinking, well, we've just spent a long time there on baptism. Once again, what's y'all's deal with baptism? Why is it so important? I'm not saying I believe baptism is more important than, than something else, but clearly baptism is something that has much more confusion, much more of a misunderstanding. And for that reason and that reason alone, I think it's important that we spend time on it. If belief was as confusing of a topic, we'd talk more about belief. It's incredibly, incredibly important that that you believe not in who Jesus is, not that Jesus was a man who existed, but that you believe Jesus was the Son of God. More importantly, you believe that not only He was the Son of God, but that He died for your sins. You've got to repent of those sins. You've got to confess with the mouth that Jesus was the Son of God who died for your sins. And you can be baptized. It's free, and it's simple, and it can be done at any moment. More specifically, it can be done today. I want to talk to you as we close this morning about the vehicle of salvation. 
I hope that for all of us today, no matter what stage of life we're in, our destination is to be forgiven of sins. Plain and simple. If that's not our destination, we have other problems to, to discuss. But if forgiveness of sins is your destination today, salvation is the vehicle. You know, we can have a destination in mind in any way of life. But first, we're going to have to have the keys to the vehicle. We're going to have to get in the car. We're going to have to get in the vehicle. We have to put the key in the ignition. We have to put the car in drive. And only when, only when we've done these things... We have the ability, the ability to arrive at the destination. And I feel like salvation is the exact same way. You, you can have the keys all day long to your car. But unless you get in the car, you're not going anywhere. You can have the keys and you can get in the car. But if you don't ever put the key in the ignition, you're not going anywhere. You can have the keys, you can get in the car, you can put the keys in the ignition, but until you put the car in drive, you're not going anywhere. Salvation's the same way. We're commanded to believe, we're commanded to repent, we're commanded to confess, we're commanded to be baptized. See, you can believe all you want, but unless you repent of your sins, what, what good is your belief? You have to believe to be saved. We're not arguing that today. You have to believe. But if you don't repent, what good is your belief? You can believe in Jesus. You can believe who Jesus was and what Jesus did. You can repent of every single sin that you've ever committed in your entire life. But unless you confess who Jesus was, you're not going anywhere. You can believe who Jesus was. You can repent of every sin you've ever committed. You can confess the name of Jesus over and over and over again. But until you're baptized, you're not going anywhere. The vehicle of salvation is, is just like a vehicle we drive today. You can believe all you want. You can repent all you want. You can confess all you want. The Bible makes it clear you have to be baptized you have to put the car in drive. And when you do, and only when you do, can you arrive at your destination of being forgiven of sins. And not a moment sooner. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.